you take your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, our, our text this morning begins in verse 19 and extends to verse 31. As we've already seen over the last several months, uh, this story that John tells us of the work of Jesus extends from a garden to a garden, from the Garden of Gethsemane to this garden tomb. And we saw last week on Easter Sunday that Jesus rises, and though Mary thinks he's the gardener, she's not wrong. Jesus is the gardener, and he brings about a new creation. And indeed, the final scenes of of Jesus' death and burial point that up, that Jesus, representing all humanity, is presented. Uh, Behold the man. This is what humanity has come to. And then, having been crucified on the sixth day of the week, on the seventh, like God in the creation week, he rests, having accomplished his good work, and he rises on the first day of a new week, a a new week of a new creation. We're still in that first day of God making the world new through Jesus. And what we find both in this passage and what we'll look at next time is is this is what it looks like when the world is made new. Doubters are transformed into confessors. Deniers are transformed into those who are restored. This morning we look at this, this account of how doubters become confessors, but in order for that to be something that's not just intellectual for us, but actually deals with our hearts, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Indeed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we desire to come to hear the word of the Lord today. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would take Holy Scripture And as our confession of faith says, speak to us through Holy Scripture. May we hear the word of the Lord. Lord, grant us this grace, increase our faith, and make us new once again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, The door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's still the first day of the week, towards the end of a long, amazing day. Many hours earlier, Mary had come running with the news, I have seen the Lord. And and she surely relayed what the angels had told her, surely communicated what Jesus had told them through her. But she also came with puzzling news that Jesus had said to them through her, I am ascending to my father and your father. What What did that mean? I mean, certainly Jesus had told them repeatedly in their last days together in the upper room that he was returning to the Father. Did that mean that that Mary would be the only one who would see Jesus? Had Jesus actually gone directly to the Father? And Peter and John, they, they brought puzzling news as well. They saw linen cloths. They saw the head covering folded up and placed in another another area. John, at least, believed that something had happened. Considering what Mary said, perhaps Jesus was raised from the dead and had gone directly to the Father. What did it all mean? Undoubtedly, they were discussing all of this. There in their meeting place at the end of that long, amazing day. You notice that the door was locked. Actually, the word here in verse 19 is stronger. The the door was barred. Barred for fear that the Jewish leaders would come and arrest them, would come to crucify them. And so these were far from courageous and bold apostles of the resurrected king. No, these are, are fearful, doubting, wondering followers of Jesus the crucified. You see, Thomas... Thomas wasn't alone in his doubt and fears. Thomas wasn't alone in his incredulity. No, all the disciples feared and doubted and wondered. That's actually the keynote of all four of the Gospels. Because, of course, resurrections didn't happen in the first century just like they didn't happen in the 21st century. And no godly Jew expected it to be differently. In John chapter 11, you heard what general Jewish belief was from Martha, that there would be a resurrection in the last day, a general resurrection, where the dead should rise and there'd be a final judgment. But a resurrection in the midst of time? It's unbelievable. And so every single gospel records the disciples' doubts. For example, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some 
doubted. Mark chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Luke chapter 24, verse 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I think that's a comfort for us. I think it's a comfort for us to know that the disciples doubted and feared and wondered. Friends, if you're here today and, and you have doubts and fears and struggles with your faith and you're trying to, to put together the intellectual side with the, with the more uh, emotional or trust side of Christianity, you're not alone. These followers of Jesus who had been with him for three years, they weren't co-opted by Greek mythology or by some kind of jacked-up Jewish mysticism, they too struggled. They doubted. They feared. They wondered. But what made the difference? What made the difference? What, what transforms these disciples with, with Thomas as the great example so that they go from being doubters and they're transformed into confessors? I ask you, what makes the difference? Jesus does. Jesus raised from the dead. The gardener who appears as the one who brings forth a new creation, whose death, burial, and resurrection makes a new world and makes new people to populate that new world. He gives new life. Jesus is the one who makes the difference. Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, he's the one who comes. He comes into their midst. That's what verse 19 tells you. You see it? On the evening of that first day, the of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Of course, in these moments, as the disciples were hiding behind the locked door, the barred door. They couldn't remember what Jesus had told them just days before. In the upper room, in, in John chapter 16, Jesus had said to them, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And so, also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts shall rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You see? There in John chapter 16, Jesus had told them clearly that they would see him, and he would see them. And that's exactly what happens. The resurrected Jesus comes, and he comes with his presence that brings peace. I mean, here on the first day of a new creation, God in human form walks into his world and he brings shalom. He brings peace. He brings wholeness, well-being. God begins to restore things to the way they ought to be, just as at the first day of the first creation, God makes his world into a world of peace, of wholeness, of shalom. So now God, in Jesus Christ, begins to do the same. It's notable that what attracts our attention 
isn't what John focuses on. It doesn't attract his attention at all. Our attention is drawn to the fact that, that a, a, a flesh and blood, a body and bones Jesus appears in the room even though there's a, a bar across the door. But, but John's attention is not there. No, no, John's attention is focused that, on the fact that the resurrected Jesus is there. The resurrected Jesus is present with them and his presence brings peace. Three times in the section, Jesus says, peace be with you. Verse 19, verse 21, verse 26. Three times Jesus had told them, peace be with you. Remember what Jesus had said there in the upper room? Some familiar verses from John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why are those words more than happy talk? When you're in the midst of your fears, when you feel overwhelmed by life, when you know anxiety, does it really help you for one of us simply to come up to you and say, don't be anxious, peace? No, it doesn't really help at all. Your mind runs and you say, Sean, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the, the overwhelmingness I fear, the, the doubts, the wondering, the anxiety. You, how could it be that this peace actually can come to us? The reason why peace is more than happy talk is because Jesus is the one who says it to you. Jesus is the one who said in John 14, Peace I give to you, and he's the one after the cross, after the, after the burial, after the resurrection, who comes into the presence of his disciples. And his presence brings peace, so that when he says, Shalom, peace be with you, wholeness, well-being, it happens. It happens. Because what happens is that these disciples go from being afraid, being anxious, and they, they're glad Right? That's what happens. His presence brings peace because he's the one who comes. But his coming not only brings peace, it, he also offers his evidence that encourages. Encourages the disciples and in, by extension encourages us because it's not simply the speaking of peace that changes and transforms the disciples, is it? No, Jesus shows them his hands. And he shows them his side. And verse 20 says, then the disciples were glad when they had seen the Lord. Why were they glad? Because they saw him. Because this is clearly Jesus. Clearly flesh and blood, body and bone Jesus. This is the one who was crucified. Marks on his hands, marks on his feet, wound in his side. And this is the one who was raised from their dead. And because Jesus comes, his presence brings them peace and the evidence of his resurrection encourages them so that now they are no longer afraid. Then they were glad. Then they were glad. All their fears, all their doubts removed because Jesus, the resurrected one, the gardener who's bringing about a new creation, he's come. He's come into their midst. He's shown himself to them. And his presence brings peace. His evidence encourages. But he doesn't simply come. He actually, on this first day of a new week, the first day of a new creation, yes, he comes, but he also commissions. 
Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, he repeats it, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, this is John's version of what we call the Great Commission. All four Gospels have a version of the Great Commission. The most famous or familiar is Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. But this is, this is John's telling. And in John's telling, Jesus doesn't say go. No, Jesus actually tells his disciples both then and now that they are sent. That they are sent. How does Jesus put it? As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now, Jesus had not explicitly told his disciples in John's gospel that he was sending them. Oh, he had prayed to that effect. He would prayed to that effect in their presence in John chapter 17. He had prayed to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. But here, Jesus sends his disciples, and he sends them both then and now. Then, he doesn't choose one disciple, one apostle above another. He doesn't choose Peter and says, Peter, I'm sending you. Or John, I'm sending you. James, I'm sending you. No, it's the, it's the disciples, it's the apostles in aggregates. Even Thomas is included in this, even though he's not physically present at this time. But these ten that were present, they've seen the resurrected Christ. And they hear his commission as he sends them into the world to do what? To witness, to testify. Testify that Christ is, is, is crucified, Christ has died. Christ is buried. Christ is raised. Christ is coming again. And this changes everything. Jesus, the resurrected king, he commissions his disciples and sends them into the world. But, but not just then. Now, too. You and I, we are sent into the world as God's sons and daughters, made so by Jesus. And we are sent into the world to testify to testify concerning the good news that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. That's the message that actually brings about the reality of forgiveness in our lives. It's why we, we, we go into this world. It's why we are sent. A couple of weeks ago, we had a commissioning during this 11 o'clock hour for a team that IPC, and by extension, Jesus himself, is sending out on mission. On Thursday, we have this team that's heading out to Greece, and, and they'll undoubtedly do some hard labor, but they're also going to, to testify, to witness. Witness concerning what? Christ has died. Christ is risen. He's coming again. These great facts, these great truths that, that bring about a new creation. But we don't just simply send out teams, each one of us, in our, in our family circles, in our workplaces, in our various networks and clubs and places where we are. We have been sent by Jesus Christ. We are his disciples. We are his ambassadors. He's given us a commission to testify, to witness. As the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus sends you and me to testify what? 
Christ has died. Christ is risen. He's coming again. The good news of the gospel. And it's this good news, this message that brings about the reality of forgiveness in people's lives. I, I think that's what verse 23 means. It's, it's this gospel message, this good news of Jesus, that, that Jesus Christ saves, that Jesus Christ pardons sinners, and that we receive this pardon, and we are accepted as, as righteous, not for our sake, but for Christ's sake. And we receive this forgiveness, we receive this pardon by faith alone, by resting upon Jesus and receiving him as he's offered to us in the gospel. And where that message of forgiveness is held out, then verse 23 is coming so that we are actually are extending the forgiveness of Jesus in the lives of others. When we fail to witness, when we fail to hold out this message, then we actually are withholding people's sins. I don't think what Jesus is telling us here is that there's some kind of apostolic or priestly group that has the responsibility of absolving sins or refusing to absolve sins. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. Rather, the, Jesus sends you and me into this world with the message of forgiveness so that we might declare the good news that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again, and all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ know forgiveness of sins. But that's a heavy burden, isn't it? It's a weighty matter to know that we have this message of forgiveness that the world needs. And if we proclaim it, then the forgiveness of Jesus comes. But if we fail to do so, people's sins remain with them, not remitted. Who's able to stand under such a calling? Who's worthy for such a calling? None of us. And yet Jesus, the one who commissions us, who sends us out into the world, he grants us his Holy Spirit to enable us to carry out this task. That's what John tells us of when he says in verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That's how John describes what, what will eventually happen 50 days later at Pentecost, as Acts 2 describes it. Jesus breathes on them. Now that's a clear echo of the creation account. Remember, on the sixth day of creation, God forms Adam, the, the first human, from the dust of the ground. And what does he do? He breathes in him the breath of life, and Adam becomes a living being. Here we are on the first day of a new creation, the first day of a new creation week. And what does Jesus do? He takes these human beings and he breathes on them. God himself comes to breathe on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they become New people, new Adams, by extension, new Eves, new people carrying the message of the gospel forth. And, and the disciples feel Jesus' breath. They touch his body. They know that Jesus is resurrected and yet no ghost. No, this is a, a breathing Jesus who breathes upon us, a bodily Jesus whom we can see and touch and handle and feel. The resurrected Jesus is the one who's doing exactly what he told them he would do, that the Spirit would come from the Father through Jesus to them. And the Holy Spirit would be both evidence of the resurrection, but also empowerment for the task to do what Jesus has commissioned us to do. Listen, you're not alone in this task. Yes, Jesus has sent you into your families, into the workplace, and the various networks that you have to bear witness. 
But you don't do that alone. You don't do that in your own strength. No, the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in you to empower you to this task of witness, to tell others that Jesus Christ has died. He is risen. He's coming again. The good news of the gospel that changes us and transforms us takes doubters and fearful ones and makes us into confessors, just like Thomas, because he's the one who confesses. You know, throughout history, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. Listen, I think that's horrible. I think that's incredibly cruel. Thomas isn't alone in his doubts. As we've already seen, all the disciples doubted. They were all fearful. They were all hidden behind a barred door because they were afraid of the Jews and forgetful of Jesus' promise of protection. But in this entire scene, who's the one who confesses Jesus? In this entire scene, indeed, at the high point of the entire gospel, the gospel of John, who is the one who gives the final climactic confession? It's not doubting Thomas. It's Thomas the confessor. That's what's so wonderful about verse 24 and following. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Friends, what, what makes the difference so that men and women, people like you and me who doubt and who are afraid, suddenly can confess like Thomas? What makes the difference? Jesus, the resurrected one. He makes the difference. Jesus, the gardener who brings about a new creation. He makes the difference because this is what it looks like when people are made new. This is what it looks like when a church is transformed. This is what it looks like when the world is made new. Doubters and fearful ones and anxious ones, they become confessors. It looks like Doubters becoming confessors and deniers being restored. It looks like sinners becoming saints, messed up ones receiving a makeover. It looks like you and me, with all of our fears and all of our doubts, all of our wonderings, coming to the resurrected Jesus, coming to the gardener and saying to him, Lord, I can't see you. I can't see you like Thomas or, or Peter or John or even Mary. I, I cannot see you. How can I believe? I have doubts about the resurrection. I wonder how it is so. And Lord, I can't see the nail prints in your hands. I can't see the wound in your side. How can I believe? And Jesus' preacher, his witness sent by him comes to you and says to you today, believe all that you've heard. Believe the testimony of the apostles. Believe the signs, the evidence of their wounds. Believe the other signs of this book. Friends, believe the resurrection because the good news is that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. For this is, this is what John tells you here. 
Jesus' own words tell you that this is his call to us. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus tells you that you are blessed, that you believe even though you've not seen. How did you believe? Through the testimony of another. Through a preacher coming and telling you the truth, whether it's your mother or your father, whether it was a friend, whether it was an RUF campus leader, whether it was one of the pastors here, they came to you and told you the truth as it is in Jesus, that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. There's good witness and testimony to that fact. The wounds are true. Christ is risen. John tells you that Jesus does many other signs, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. So friend, what will it take for you to turn from your doubts and your fears? What will it take for you to move from your wonderings and your wanderings? What will it take seizing hold of Thomas's confession as your own? It will take you today saying with Thomas, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my God. And though for times and days and seasons I've wandered and wondered, I've known fears and doubts and anxieties, Lord Jesus, I do believe you've been raised from the dead. As the crucified one who was raised, I believe you're coming again. I believe in the resurrection of the, of the dead and the life everlasting. Oh, Lord, I believe. Hear my confession today in the midst of my doubts. You are my Lord. You are my God. Will you say that today? Not just for the first time. Some of you need to say that for the first time. But the way we grow in grace and have our faith strengthened is time by time as the message is held out to us, as the preacher witnesses to us concerning who Christ is, that Jesus becomes bigger in our sight so that we leave this place rejoicing and glad with no more fear or doubt because we have confessed with Thomas today, Jesus, my Lord, my God. So will that be your confession today? Will you leave this place with a new title? The Confessor. That new title is yours. Just as it was for Thomas. If you can say with him, my Lord, my God, will you? Let's pray together. Oh, Christ Jesus, the ground of all our hopes in this life and the life to come, we do confess you today. We do rest our hearts in you today. And the good news that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. That's what buttresses us in the midst of our fears and anxieties, our wonderings and wanderings. So Jesus, we pray that you would be so real to us, more real than the sunshine, more real than the trees, more real than the beautiful flowers, more real than anything that we could possibly see in this world. Though we, not, we don't see you, we love you. And though we do not see you, we believe in you, and we are receiving the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, as Peter says. And so, Lord, please, for me, for my friends today, 
Grant us grace to confess with great joy that you are our Lord and you are our God. We ask that you would do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.